Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. You're listening to Sawgrass, the lead track from Spectral Lines, the most recent album by acclaimed singer-songwriter and our guest on this episode, Josh Ritter. Named one of the 100 Greatest Living Songwriters by Paste Magazine, Josh Ritter has released 11 critically acclaimed studio albums. Carving out a reputation as a thoughtful and poetic lyricist, Ritter's music has been covered by Bob Weir, Joan Baez, and Bob Dylan. Attracting attention for breakout songs such as Getting Ready to Get Down, Kathleen, and Miles Away, Ritter is no stranger to critics' best albums of the year lists. His 2019 album, Fever Breaks, was produced by Jason Isbell and backed by Isbell's band, The 400 Unit. His most recent album, which reunites him with his own Royal City Band and finds him continuing to push sonic boundaries, is called Spectral Lines. Part 1 Hey Songcraft listeners, are you tired and need some rest? Go to Pearl's Nap Studios to get a truly great nap. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What'd you say? Pearl's Nap Studios. Uh, The the perfect... listen. There's no apostrophe. Uh, it's actually pearl snap. So pearl is one word. Snap is the other. There is no nap to be had here. There's no nap. No. There's at- no. Listen, I'll tell you, though, if you go to Pearl Snap Studios and get them to do the work for you on making a demo, you actually can rest easy. You can sit back and let them ah. do the work. So that there may be a nap involved, but you they are not going to provide the nap or a a bed or any kind of bedding. No dark room. No. no. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So if you are a songwriter and, and you need a professional demo or even a full on record made, send it to Justin and, and his team at Pearl's nap. I mean, Pearl snap studios and you stay home and take a nap. Let them create a a demo that is award winning worthy that you will be proud to play for, for anyone. Pearl, it's time to rest. It's time for your nap. Let Pearl Snap Studios do the rest. <laughs> PearlSnapStudios.com. Go get a demo that you will absolutely be blown away by. Scott, I, I came across something uh, on Instagram the other day. On the um, interwebs. Uh, yes. that I sent it to you and some of our friends because um, not unlike a freeway accident, I couldn't look away. Um I'm going to read you the the caption first to this post. The U.S. State Department has announced the Global Music Diplomacy Initiative, which intends to use music to promote peace and democracy around the world. And at a launch event in D.C. last night, this is about a week ago, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken kicked things off by covering Muddy Waters' Hoochie Coochie Man. (laughs) This, This caption is accompanied by a video of aforementioned Secretary of State Blinken Standing there in a suit, playing rhythm guitar, singing into a wireless mic in what looks like some performance room in the White House. It's the dumbest. <laughs> it's, it, Sources it, confirmed God. that Willie Dixon did indeed roll over in his grave. I didn't know anybody could look less cool with a guitar in their hands, but it's possible. And and when I said it to you, guys, I, I said, look, the secretary of Strat. Um <laughs> This did I don't, he have on sunglasses? No. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, sunglasses and a fedora was the only thing that would have made it work. It's funny when people think they're dressing bluesy when they put on sunglasses and a fedora. It's like you're dressing like the blues brothers. That's different. You're not dressing like a legit blues man. You're dressing like Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Um but I the <laughs> The whole politicians with instruments thing. I mean, because uh, Bill Clinton did put on sunglasses. He did. 
to play yeah. on the Arsenio Hall show. Saxophone. To play, yeah, very mediocre saxophone. Um, and it, it first of all, I don't understand. I don't understand why it's necessary. I don't understand why you couldn't remove the suit. Yeah, I honestly, <laughs> I don't understand the combo. Yeah, of of politician, uh, rocker, like yeah. whatever we're supposed to <laughs> assume. Right. Well, uh, Mike Huckabee uh, is <laughs> is addicted to this. <laughs> totally. uh, I, I don't know if he still has a show or not, but he used to have a show. Yeah, and you know he's uh, a former governor. Also a Baptist preacher, I believe, right. uh, which is probably the other guy that should not be trying to rock but out he's in the slapping suit. the bass. And he's playing that bass, man. <laughs> he, you know, he gets on, uh, you know, Phil Collin from, from Def Leppard so that they can cover a That's little pour true. some sugar on me. That is true. Pour some sugar on me oh in a suit. Gosh. Uh, and, and yeah, something just about that bass strapped on and they all get the a dumb face like hey i bet you guys think i look pretty cool <laughs> it's the yeah and i think it is the suit for me and it's not like it's not like i'm wearing a suit like robert palmer like right. a like right. a rock and roll suit look him up right. kids but um it's just the same suit that i had on to meet with diplomats today right. and now i've just like put on this instrument um right. yeah it, it does i think maybe they think it has a jimmy jam terry lewis effect and it, right. it does not no it doesn't at all um so but you know bill clinton wasn't the first he no. wasn't the first well-known politician uh world leader to be either renowned for their musical skill or just sort of like into playing instruments in right. front of people right um i mean i i remember clips of richard nixon yeah back in the day yeah. uh playing piano oh yeah richard nixon came uh a nice nashville connection when the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville moved from the Ryman Auditorium downtown to the Opry House out on the outskirts of yeah. town, uh, Richard Nixon came. I don't know if he was there both nights or just came for the first night at the at the new Opry House, but he came and played piano. My my mom and dad were in the audience, so <laughs> wow. I can I can say that that uh, I have a direct uh, ancestral lineage to yeah. watching Richard Nixon <laughs> play piano. I, I'm gonna say the over under on songs he knew is four. <laughs> I bet that guy had four songs that he would pull out at different parties. Somebody will correct me. He's probably maybe he was a classically trained pianist and he was amazing. But I, I'm I'm betting four songs. Um, I saw Elton John at the Opry House. Who do you think was better? <laughs> <laughs> Who's more honest? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, we actually had an interview with John Hall from the band Orleans, um, who became a congressman. Yeah. Um, yeah. And was very successful at music yeah and then went on to be a congressman so and yeah. sonny bono did the same absolutely uh, yeah it went from the music career to the political career some pretty credibly i mean in both yeah. cases yeah i would say john quincy adams was maybe less known for his flute skills <laughs> than um some of these guys but um apparently uh sarah palin played flute in the 1984 miss alaska pageant um, wow. And there is video out there of it. And I, I've got to tell you, when it comes to uh, playing flute, Sarah Palin is not good. Not a good <laughs> flautist. Uh, <laughs> but that was her. That was she did that in that in the pageant. Well, wow. so, you know, go on YouTube and check that one out. Am I correct that Orrin Hatch uh, was a songwriter? Yeah, like legit. Uh, who was a senator, I think, from Utah. Wow. Um, I believe that's right. But he, uh, he had like a Brooks and Dunn cut. Uh, you, wow. Yeah. Like he had, he had some legitimate like songwriting success. See, I like that. I like sort of finding that out and thinking that's cool rather than like him walking out in a suit 
<laughs> and like maybe like on the debate floor bringing his guitar and just like showing everybody instead of filibustering right. I'm going to play uh, Brown Eyed Girl <laughs> want to play for you some of my original songs yeah exactly <laughs> like uh, yeah like uh, the British Office um, oh, and Beto O'Rourke he was in like a punk band uh, really yeah like, I mean I kind of believe that that kind of makes sense to me yeah he's not a suit guy anyway uh, no but I feel like his sleeves are very carefully rolled up <laughs> You know, I feel like an aide rolls his sleeves up. We want to do two and a quarter roll. Yeah. Uh, um, so Bernie Sanders in 1987 did a five song EP. This is when he was like Come a, on. a Vermont, you know, like a local Wait, Vermont. Wait, what year? 1987. So it was actually like an, an EP, like a small record. Yeah. Like a- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was like Bernie Sanders with different artists from Vermont. It was like a fundraiser thing. And, and they're doing songs like This Land Is Your Land and, you know, sort oh of like. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a guy. I, I actually would like to see Bernie Sanders strap on a guitar. I don't know that he could play one, but that's yeah. a that's a visual that I find I would find entertaining. Uh, yeah, again, I was just I would just hope the suit's not involved. I yeah. would hope that maybe Bernie puts on like a, a hoodie <laughs> and, right. and plays guitar. I think Bernie Sanders sleeps in a suit. Uh yeah, that would make sense. That's why it's all rumpled up. And, <laughs> <you know. laughs> I, I saw where uh, Woodrow Wilson was um an accomplished singer and also passionate about the violin. Mm. I actually read the word passionate about the violin. I'm assuming he played it. <laughs> he just really wasn't loved. Just passionate about the sound of it. Uh, but I, you know, you wonder these guys like are they good or are they just surrounded by people that tell them that they're good because they're the president? Right, right. You know? uh, like Vladimir Putin plays piano. Oh, bravo. So and I'm sure that. that no one goes, you're okay. <laughs> uh, I think that probably everyone right. around him is like Elvis's Memphis Mafia on steroids of telling yeah. Putin how great of a piano player he is. He gets done playing like, you know, for Elise or whatever. He's like, how was that? <laughs> Amazing. Uh, it was It was incredible. It was incredible. <laughs> You've reinvented. Yeah. Uh, you, you waited a minute to say, you, you, you didn't say that right away. Uh, Condoleezza Rice apparently like near professional level concert pianist uh, studied studied music in school and decided like she didn't quite have what it took but she she played like for the queen uh, like not as secretary of state but like in some other sort of configuration but uh, she she was like a legit I mean I guess she's still alive right do you know how like apparently really good do you know how good you have to be at piano to tell the difference between a really good classically trained pianist (laughs) right and one that kind of doesn't have it not quite there (laughs) not quite there yeah um pete Buttigieg is a jazz plays jazz piano and jazz guitar and apparently i have not heard it apparently is pretty pretty darn good at both i'm starting to feel less cool for being, you know, quote unquote, accomplished at music, right. because like apparently you can be accomplished at music and do a lot of other and stuff also at be the a politician. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe your calling is politics. I, I, like I haven't read a book in a long time. And... <laughs> then maybe your calling is not politics. <laughs> uh, well, this will make you feel better. There was a video that was going around a while back um, of uh, uh, what was his name, uh, Boris Johnson in the UK. Yes, that guy. And he was uh, playing a guitar, uh, and his fingers were like in like e position whatever there was a capo on the fifth fret (laughs) so his like above his hand yeah 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 so his hands were behind the capo and he was sort of strumming and (laughs) yeah so so don't feel like all of these politicians have have sounds great sir (laughs) (laughs) once again how did that sound (laughs) sounded just like better man sir So, uh, yeah, not all these guys necessarily know the way around uh, the, the instruments. Yeah, so, wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I feel safe 
knowing the Secretary of Strat is out there, <laughs> not just like meeting with world leaders and setting policy and like, you know, establishing our allies and things like that, but doing it with a guitar in his hand so they know he's rocking <laughs> and he's cool. Like I... It's, yeah. There's something particularly about when the blues are involved. Oh. It's like you're doing a, a muddy waters. Like, yeah. you know, if Willie Dixon wrote it and you're a politician in a suit, you probably shouldn't be performing <laughs> it. It's just not going to be cool. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, are you going to tell Tony Blinken? Because I'm sure he's Tony, by the way, when he's playing guitar. He's not Anthony Blinken. Are you, are you going to be the one to tell him? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, blind Tony Blinken and the Blues Boys. <laughs> wow. Actually, I kind of dig it. And by the way, if if you believe in our policy and our mission, <laughs> you nice. see what I'm doing? Yeah. Well done. And you want to be allies of ours, <laughs> um, you can support us at patreon.com. And uh, Secretary Blinken is one of our supporters. <laughs> Um, as is Woodrow Wilson. I think he might've just pulled his support. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> but, um, yeah, if, if you guys want, um, to know, uh, a little bit of insight on our foreign policy experience, um, <laughs> we've got all that on, uh, patreon.com backslash songcraft show. Yeah. Um, you can go on there and you can see where you can donate, uh, just a small amount of money to us each month to help us keep the lights on and keep things going here at Songcraft. And in exchange, you get some perks. Um, one of which, uh, is pretty cool that we've added recently, which is that if you are a supporter at the $5 a month level, you have the opportunity to submit uh, a question for an upcoming interview. So what we've been doing is, uh, posting, um, Hey, we're going to be talking to this person coming up or that person. You have uh, a question. And then if we choose your question, then we actually use your name uh, when we ask it uh, during the, the show. So the first time you would have heard this was on our last episode with Paul Stanley of KISS. Uh, we got to incorporate an audience question. And that happens uh, again today with Jenny, who is one of our uh, faithful supporters of Patreon since since the very beginning, uh, located in Nashville, friend of the pod, friend um, of the pod. who is also a massive Josh Ritter fan. So she was happy to get a chance to uh, submit a question which um, Josh answered. And I'll tell you, I, I think when we throw a, a listener question at the guest, they uh, really like appreciate that because yeah. they know like this is from a fan and, and, you know, I want to like rise to the challenge and give a good answer. So anyway, that's just one of the, of the perks you can get. You can also get some behind the scenes uh, info about uh, what happened getting ready for the, for the interview and that kind of thing, which um, is actually could be pretty entertaining because yeah. we, we have some, uh, some interesting uh, hijinks that, that go on around here. So check that out. Patreon.com slash songcraft show. Um, see what it's all about. See if you want to get involved in, in helping to support what we do here at songcraft and and i say we um but this was an episode paul where i was i was flying solo yeah um, because you are i think uh you, you've got riz as the as the young people say so, so much and riz. you're out there uh doing it yeah. Uh, you are, are, are just, you're a busy man. You got stuff going on and, uh, you, you can't be here every single time. Yeah. Also, uh, Josh Ritter and I have some history. Yeah. Um, we had an uncomfortable situation <laughs> yes. a while back. Yeah. Um, yeah. His, we his one stipulation yeah. during the podcast was I not be here. I do not speak with Paul yeah. Duncan. He um, knows why I think was his exact words. He knows why I could, uh, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even submit a question through Patreon. I mean, it was. <laughs> It was tight. You know? <laughs> he, yeah, I mentioned your name, and he he closed the Zoom session, and yeah. it took some doing to get him back. Uh, 
No, no. Paul and Josh Ritter are totally we're, fine. We're fine. Josh Ritter doesn't know Paul exists. Yeah, uh, true. But um, <laughs> it was it was a fun a fun interview. It's it's never as fun, uh, you know, flying solo. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Josh was a great guest. We had a, a great conversation. He's got some real kind of nuts and bolts thoughts on songwriting that are a little bit different than what you hear all the time necessarily. And and uh, I think you guys are gonna dig it. And you know what, Paul? I think I think you're gonna dig it. Well, I'm gonna listen to it. Yeah. And I'm gonna let you know what I think. Yeah. Um, um, and if I don't dig it, yeah, then I'm withdrawing my Patreon support. <laughs> Part two. Josh, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you so much for having me. This, what, this is awesome. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. Um, you have got uh, an album called Spectral Lines that came out earlier this year. Your most recent release. I believe it's your 11th studio album which is uh, incredible and we want to uh to to dive deep on that here in a bit um find out more about that record and and what's unique about it as compared to some of your previous uh releases but before we do i i always love to just get a sense from our guests about where they grew up and what kind of music they were absorbing from, you know, the earliest ages that that kind of made an impact or or made you open your ears and go, huh, this is something that I feel drawn to in a in a different way than maybe some of the other, you know, entertainment or or influences that are coming at me. Sure. Yeah. Well, like I got started. I mean, I grew up in uh, uh, just north of a little town called Moscow, Idaho, which is in the panhandle of the state. And I guess about 15 miles out of town. Uh, and I want, it was on, on the edge of what we call Moscow Mountain, which is a little small range of, of kind of granite mountains that are sort of a, they, they kind of start to form into the, the, the range that runs up the, the eastern side of the state and separates us from Montana. Uh, it's, it's mostly wheat farming and lentil farming. Uh, there is uh, a lot of timber, and there it's a it's a you know mostly gravel roads, you know. And there's one I'd say one of the most abiding sense memories I have of 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 that place is is a kind of long vista and a huge vista, but with with uh, a haze of, of either harvest dust or 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 you know the the pollen or or even the road the gravel dust from the roads and uh and and that's where i grew up like my parents my parents moved to idaho in uh in the early 70s uh to work at the universities in the area university of idaho and washington state university my dad was uh, trained as a veterinarian and uh, was uh, much uh, really into research, and and, uh, and uh, my mom as well. Their their kind of their abiding passion was scientific research, and that mm. was their, they you know and and uh, you know. So I grew up with that as as a kind of a foundational uh, structure was this this love of of science, love of finding things out. And, you know, almost a, uh, I would say not almost, but uh, certainly a, a incredibly uh, personally um, ambitious search for knowledge and, mm. and answers, you know, that went beyond a job. You know, they were just very curious people. Uh, alongside that, I think the other, the other thing that, that one of the big things that 
that shaped me was, you know, growing up in a, in a small place and, uh, and being able to walk out my door and over the mountain and just be gone to the woods for, for a day, you know, you know, just wandering out there, you know, I, I love being alone and I never had a fear of the woods. Uh, and I always felt that I could find my way back. And, and, uh, you know, that was something so special to me. And then finally, you know, I was raised in a, in a it was a very religious household, you know, um, despite the fact that my parents were, uh, you know, believed in this, you know, the very rational human approach to like getting knowledge and science that we've had for the last 300, 400 years. Like there was also a, a, a belief that they had that, that, that the reality was a larger place than, than we imagined and that it was important to have a relationship with that reality, yeah. you know? So it was church every Sunday and, and Sunday school and all sorts of stuff like that. And was that youth group and what was, was church music kind of the first music that you were really uh, exposed to or were they also listening Absolutely. to stuff? And, and yeah, church music and especially the hymns, you know, typically I was, I was raised in a, in a, in a Lutheran tradition where, you know, a, a lot of that music, but it was like a lot of, you know, Wesley and a lot of like a lot, you know, you know, old melodies, you know, right. and folk melodies taken and used, you know, whether, you know, whether it's a, now the green blade rises or sacred head now wounded, all these old uh, songs based on like Welsh hymns and Welsh tunes. And, and uh, yeah, those were, those are the first things that I, that I took part in musically or yeah. took in. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause uh, you know, we were talking before, uh, before the official show started that I was driving back from San Diego last night and I was just kind of doing like a, a, a deep dive on your, your music as I was driving back and just kind of listening through, you know, it's always li interesting to listen to an artist and listen to samplings like from throughout the years, you know, so I'm listening yeah. to over 20 years worth of, of your music in a compressed way. And one of the things that, that definitely leapt out to me as I kind of listened to all of it as, as a, you know, as a body, um, there is a lot of biblical references, a lot of theological references, you know, what, what kind of, long lasting impact did that have on you in terms of just informing your, um, your approach to lyric writing, because it does crop up, you know, like I'd say yeah. fairly often. I know that I, 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 I've, I noticed that like early on in my, in my songwriting that that was coming out and I kind of made a conscious like decision about it, which was that these are the, these are the words I'm hearing. This is like what it is is appearing in my mind. And if I, if I, if I attempt to change that, then, then I'm, I'm really messing with something that is, uh, it would be unfortunate to mess with it. You know, I had to like kind of realize that there's, there's, there's all kinds of music in the world and all kinds of songs. And like every one of them deals with a, an aspect of human existence that is important enough that we put it in a song, you know? And I, and, and, and the things that I am, am trying to like to articulate oftentimes are like large ideas that I can't get on paper myself. You know, I can't, I can't, 
I can't go into the details uh, in a song, but what I can do is use these stories and, uh, and these touchstones as entry points for uh, further contemplation by the listener, you know, mm -hmm. because oftentimes like all I'm doing is imparting my own sense of what the, what the experience is. And then I, I have to really like visualize that what I'm doing is, uh, is giving, giving a, a, a sense that there is, that there are larger stories going on behind behind the the lyrics you know uh, in, in the same way that like you look at one of those like renaissance pictures of a saint you know and and there's the picture and it's very physical but inside that picture are 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 numerous symbols and codes that you can that if you know a little bit about the 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 person that you know if you know about this history then you can you can follow each one of those symbols down a, a rabbit hole into a a, 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 a new story, a new yeah. story about. And I, I think that that's like fantastically useful, but I also believe that I really, uh, um, I really uh, respond to like archetypes, you know, mm. that's something that I really seem to like latch hold of. And, and the archetypes make writing uh, a, a thing that, that feels like, it, you know, you can you can you can look at topics from a thirty thousand foot view because the archetypes loom so large, and like really putting in personal small details can help to uh, reframe that in a smaller situation. Yeah, but like I like those archetypes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I wonder. You know, too. Like uh, some of the the references and some of your lyrics to you know, like language from hymns or, or language from the Bible. Um, you know, it, it, it strikes me that probably our culture is not as biblically literate as maybe it, it once was. And I would also broaden that out to say that probably our culture is, is not as literate <laughs> as it once mm -hmm. was. And, and when you're drawing, because you also have a lot of literary and historical references in addition to theological references. So as you say, you like archetypes, you like to draw from these um, concepts over the course of your career as a songwriter. Have, have you found it um, more challenging to find those archetypes and symbols that connect in a universal way as, as people become maybe less familiar with cultural literacy? Mm. I, I, you know, I, that's an interesting thing. Uh, I, I think that my, uh, in that sense, uh, well, I would say that I don't know that my, my upbringing, upbring, I'm not going to speak for it as being typical in a religious sense. I, I, mean, I, but I do know that like, like many, many people and many people that I know personally and many people, you know, when you are raised in, and you are given over to Sunday school and sermons every week and, you know, translations of the Bible that are, are, you know, far different than, than, you know, are also widely different from each other. What, what you end up coming away with is an idea that like, and I certainly had this from a young age, like when somebody talked about Moses in the burning bush, that was not, that was not a, uh, that, 
that was a real thing to me, you know, that was a real thing. And like, and it was a miracle. And I have a big imagination and I was a little kid and, and those things weren't presented as being stories, you know, or, or, or human created stories. And, you know, my, my, my feeling on, on, on whether all that stuff is real is it's not mine to judge. You know, I see the, I see the, I see the effects of organized religion everywhere around me, but it doesn't have an effect on whether the stories that are so fantastical and wondrous and awe-inspiring that we relate down to each other over thousands of years. I, I, I can't say whether those are real, but in, in my sense is that like, that in, in terms of writing with a sort of a, a biblical literacy or a literacy, like m- my job is not only to impart, like to, d- to draw on those stories, but to, to elaborate on what I find important about them. So some people may discover, you know, the story of Joan of Arc, you know, and, and her hearing voices and, uh, and her eventual martyrdom or, or demise in these ways. They might hear about her for the first time through, through a song like to the dogs, you know, that might be the, the way somebody finds out and they could go down any number of, uh, of avenues to like discover more. Mm-hmm. But like, I always feel that like it's, it's my job is to like pass on the stories that, uh, that seem to be coming back to me, you yeah. know? That that's interesting because I, I think the, the, to the dogs or whoever that you referenced, um, is a song that not only does it mention Joan of Arc, but you've got, you know, Casey Jones and Calamity Jane and General Custer. You have all these sort of figures from, from history. Was it Casey Jones, the Casey at the bed who died out of pride and got famous for that? Killed by a swerve, laid low by the curve. Do you ever think they ever thought they got what they deserved? Don't pity the bullet and pity the man. We both found a place in the same sad plan. We both look like the barrel going over the falls, crying all the way down. I never asked to be involved. I thought I heard somebody calling in the dark. I I think that's fascinating what you're saying is that where you can use some of those references as shorthand for grand ideas, sometimes you are driving people to the the source of you might use a reference knowing that someone might not get this, but it might make them actually look it up, um, which I think yeah. is, it's kind of an interesting dialogue as a songwriter to I want to reference things in a sly way that people get, but I also want to challenge the listener to go deeper. I, I think that's it's really fun for me because you know like I I I really like I I find that the, one of my my the 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 most rewarding things about uh, um, like writing songs that I've come to terms with and love is that like I'm supposed to follow my obsessions you know I'm supposed to, if that stuff is is calling to me whatever it should be like my job really as 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 a writer is to follow those things and and immerse myself in them and bring them back in some form you know it's sort of like translating a like like a a a large idea into some form of like some some you're making it physical in the world you know you're trying to and i think that it rather than letting it be all squishy in the head you know yeah like trying to like 
pin something down you know like like when you're when the like in the museum and you go see the butterflies in the in the weirdest natural history museum and there are like those those shelves and shelves of these beautiful like butterflies that are so beautiful but have also been pinned down you know you know the idea can never be fully pinned down but the idea that you're expressing is that there is such things and here here is a start yeah yeah here's a start that's fascinating um well Kind of thinking about your uh, your early records, um, your first self-titled, self-released record came out in, in 2000. Um, and, you know, I listened to uh, songs like Hotel Song or Leaves and Kings, and obviously there are the the influences that we could point to, uh, you know, the, the Dylan influences, the things that, you know, you, you wear on your sleeve. Um, sure. but I, I listened to a song like leaves and Kings or a song like me and jigs from your second album. And I hear a little bit of like Steve Earl or Robert Earl Keen in there. Me and jigs staring at the ceiling, the stars above the radar range. A song from a station wagon laying foundations on the shadows of Maybe it's a common, uh, maybe it's a common Dylan root that, that ties all those things together. But I do hear a little bit more of that um, almost alt country or or Americana kind of influence that I I don't feel like I've seen a lot of discussion about when it comes to to your music. Were were those some of the kind of things that were swirling around for you in the early days? Well, in the very early days, you know, I didn't. Um, I put Towns Van Zant. I referenced him in Me and Jigs because I had just discovered him. And mm-hmm. so that was like 2001 or so. And like I'd been playing guitar for about and writing songs for like five years before that, you know? And, and, but, but what I did have and what I, what I, what I did, I do think that draws those things together is there's the democracy of the guitar. You know, and I, I, I was raised obviously in a place where country music was was out there. It was top forty. I didn't know, you know, I, there maybe wasn't, or in the same way, this like this like kind of a uh, you know other group of you know people making this uh, so called like Americana music. But like, but but I but I had a pretty good idea, and I think from from my my experience with hearing Dylan, realizing that I understood. Uh, something special about what he was doing that talked to me and, and found that there was a, there was a way with, with guitar. And, and another one would be a, a Mississippi John Hurt, you know, who was another huge influence early on. And those were, those were like situations where they gave me the form. The form was there in like girl from the North country to, to like write, you know, 10,000 songs. Yeah. And, and and the delivery of, of Mississippi John Hurt to like 
to deliver things wryly and with pathos, but also funny and like, and that, that great finger picking guitar. It was there, uh, even though it was just that, you know, just a teaspoon of what, what, you know, I was going to discover, you know, even two years later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned girl from the North country, which, which, uh, Dylan and Johnny cash did the, uh, famous duet on and yeah that song is is a mess i mean in a way <laughs> you have yeah like the the recording of it is a mess because you have two guys that are like such stylists it's hard to kind of cram them together but there's also something yeah. very uh very appealing and endearing about the mess that that it is and i think that one of the things about you know music that sometimes is um, can, can draw you is its imperfections, you know, and I, I listen to a song like come and find me, you know, from your second album, I can hear different places where you breathe. Uh, I can hear your fingers, you know, on the, on the fretboard. From the hills and up behind my town is naked from the horizon down. The curvature is pressed against the race. And we walked up in the fields alone The silence fell just like a stone That got lost in the wild blue and the gravel gray Come and find me now Come and find me now So many times now, it's like we try to get all that stuff out. You know, we try to make it sound yeah. perfect. You know, and and I it reminds me of like when that first Nora Jones record came out, and like I could hear the piano bench creak on some of the songs. You know, and you could and yeah. you go, oh, it's a reminder that th these are are humans. You know, that are making this, and I think that you know, especially in the early two thousands when you were kind of coming out and, and putting out some of your early records. I, I don't know that there's a question here, but I think I just sort of applaud the like leaving the human element, you know, in in those records where it's like, no, it doesn't sound perfect. It sounds like an actual person and real people playing yeah. music. And that's what's great about it. Well, thank you. I You know, like and I think that that's, you know, it wasn't so much like uh, like I, I had no there was the, I guess there was there was like kind of a duality of music that seemed like there was the like when I would I had this really long ride to school every morning on the school bus and school like you know it was maybe an hour but it was just because there's all these country roads that were picking up all the kids and I had these uh these headphone radio the headphone radio and I was sitting there like Napoleon Dynamite you know just looking out the window and, and like listening to my radio and we heard this one station in my hometown and played top 40 and you know I remember like you know, Paula Abdul and, and, and Richard Marks. And like, there was a ton of stuff that drew me and I liked it. You know, I listened to it and like, uh, it, you know, tears for fears and like all, all kinds of stuff. And like, and, but, but to me, those, that stuff always seemed like it wasn't, it, it just wasn't, uh, it, it felt, it felt, it felt made. You know, yeah. it felt like it was made and it felt impossibly well made, you know, to the point where somebody like me just could could not conceive or, or ever have the opportunity or, or wherewithal, you know, support to do something like that. 
Yeah. And like, so that was out of my mind almost instantly. There was that sort of music, which I kind of pictured as the planet Jupiter, you know, <laughs> just out there. It's right. so big. There's no way we can approach it, whatever. Yeah. But for whatever reason. And then there was music that I was, I was listening to, whether it was like, you know, like, you know, the like old stuff, like, you know, like, like lead belly or like, or, you know, you know, old, old stuff that was, that was, you know, just, it, it, it did away with any of that. And, and, you know, like, like, like lots of, like lots of people, I grew up with listening to music on, on cassette tapes, you know, or recording songs off the radio on a cassette tape so that I could listen to them, you know, and waiting there. And, and, and to me, like, that 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 sort of thing where where it wasn't about the quality of the sound you know it was about the music itself and like the what the, the music itself was so divorced from the actual quality of the sound right so when i started recording you know a i had no no uh i had no kind of the resources were very limited you know i, I think i did golden age of radio for a thousand dollars just working late at night yeah. at a at a studio and like, and there was nothing else to like, to push any of that forward and down that line. And, and for that reason, I feel very lucky because maybe I would have made decisions that were like less beneficial to the actual message of the music and what I was actually making me feel good about, hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Interesting concept that sometimes our limitations are what, you know, kind of keeps us uh, on the right path. <laughs> if, if you have yeah, access yeah. to too many tools, you might like lose yourself. Too much tool, too many tools, too much time, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. they can get in your way. Yeah. Um, well your third album, Hello Starling was, was kind of a breakthrough for you in a lot of ways. It kind of catapulted you, uh, you had, had built this, you know, incredible following in Ireland. And then that's the, the record that I feel like kind of pushed you through in, in the U S in a lot of ways. And the song Kathleen, um, from that record is, is one of your, your most popular songs. All the other girls here are stars You are the northern lights They try to shine in through your curtain You're too close and too bright They try and they try But everything that they do Is the ghost of a trace Of a pale imitation of you I'll be the one Drive you back home, Kathleen. It's got this great line in there that says, uh, the ghost of a trace of a pale imitation of you. And what I like about that line is when I just read it, you know, the ghost of a trace of a pale imitation of you, it almost has this cadence and this rhythm and the, the words apart from the song are musical. You know, they are constructed and, and you obviously love to play with, with words. Talk a bit about the musicality of, of words, about how you kind of construct sure. lyrics in a way that, um, to, to, to be delivered in, in a way that is kind of clever or sticks in your head or, you know, rather than just kind of jamming them in wherever. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's like, uh, it's true that like, the, the 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 rhythm of the words is is always like uh, for me there's you know i very rarely come up with a melody and then 
and then just hold on to it. You know, I don't, I find that like, you know, words, like even if you look at it from like a carpentry perspective and you look at a stanza, you see the ends of the stanzas are, are kind of uh, crenulated. They're sort of like, and, 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 and what you're kind of, I feel like what you're looking for when you, when you come up with a verse or a chorus or something, you have some line, even just a single line is, is that, is that, um, is the, the rhythm of the, the line, you pay attention to the rhythm of the line and you pay attention to what the, if you pay attention to the rhythm of the line, the melody will come, you know, mm. the melody is, is out there. It's just floating all around us. It just needs something to hook onto. Yeah. And it wants to hook onto the, to, it wants to hook onto the line. It wants, and like it, for that reason, I find that it's very hard for me to write like, well, if, if I don't have my guitar, but if I'm, you know, because I'm always trying little things, seeing how it goes, you know, there's no, there's no uh, pressure with that, but like, but mostly it's a matter of like maintaining some kind of rhythm so that I can, I can actually pull the music out of the line, huh. you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah and like, and that's it. And, and oftentimes it comes down to just the syllables and, you know, do the syllables, if the syllables don't exactly fit, then you have to either do some smudging, you know, right. or you have, or you have to like get the next line to sound effortless, but also fit. And it's like such a fun fun thing but like i don't i i often think like it's more like you're drawing you, you you're building a well with your words and then you're drawing the music out of the well yeah yeah that's interesting because i on your your latest record spectral lines i listened to a song like for your soul and i listened to that and you know we're 11 albums into you know 11 studio albums into your career and that's kind of where I first start going, oh, I hear some Beatles, you know, I hear, mm. you know, I hear this, uh, a certain new melodic um, uh, side of you that maybe hasn't been as obvious before. You with the light in your face, who walketh only in grace, things about to get tough. You can't wish it away You'll have to fight for your love I mean, the whole album to me, I, I hear like some yeah. Beatles approach. I hear some Wilco like a, approach. I hear some stuff that um, if you go and you listen to the very first album, you know, your first album is kind of like, it's all about the lyrics, you know? And mm -hmm. then as things kind of progress, it's more about this marriage of, of lyrics and, and melody. And I think your comment yeah. just then about finding the sort of the melody within the lyrics, and maybe this is a weird question, but is it the kind of thing where over the course of your career, it's like focusing on the, the words and the, and the craft of the words has actually made you more melodic? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not just in like, but it's made me realize like even in my prose, which I, which I love to write, I, I know I don't feel the pressure to rhyme, but there is the pressure to find the, the, the melody 
in in every line you know but every line is not about what you're saying every single time it's about how the 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 pauses and the 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 beats you know follow each other and follow line to line so that you know even in a song where you can you can have a song that 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 does something very simple numerous times as long as you're not doing it too long you know and like or or like or 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 you know deliver the the line in a way that is so consistent over the song that it becomes uh um a a a, a cage you know so like uh, i do think like i've you know that but but you know in general like there are so many different types of songs and some songs you know are are delivering a, a story and you need the rhythm you need the melody to carry that story along and other times like really to like you know there's a song called a lighthouse fire on sermon on the rocks and it's and it's it's not a song that has like a great deal of lyrical content but it's about the um but it's about the the the, the melody that i was hearing and and thinking about the melody and, and kind of frosting the melody with the words you know yeah. there are, there are times when you know and that's the great thing about writing songs is that not every song has to like to to check all the boxes you know right, right. It's, it's it's so freeing to like realize that like sometimes you're just you're picking a wildflower and that's the that's you know that's the wildflower that's it you know there'll be more you know? yeah yeah well, you mentioned prose, and you've released uh, two novels, Bright Passage in 2011 and The Great Glorious Goddamn of It All in 2021. And, you know, it's it's one thing to write a four-minute song. Um, you know, it's another thing to write a, an entire novel. Um, I'm curious for you, in, in what ways are the disciplines similar and, and different? Well, the, the, the main thing that I find to be similar is that it all comes down again to the, to the rhythm of the words, you know, that's like the first thing, um, you know, off, and, and, and the, the, and like, obviously over, over everything is that you have something to say, you know, a story that is a story that is so in your mind and, and so exciting, even if you don't know the edges of it yet, you know, that it's got something there that you can, you can ride through 300 pages, you know, it's gotta be a big thing. And I, you know, I've at times thought like, and looked at songs by others and thought, well, there's a novel in there. Obviously there could, you could, you can unfold a song like famous blue raincoat into a novel or the river, yeah. you know, you know, and, and, and so, so I thought I'd always thought it was possible. And when I wrote Bright's passage that, that was like, that was the the way it felt to me was as I was unfolding a, a, a short story in my mind into something much larger. And, um, you know, they, they are different though, in that as songwriters, I think generally our fluctuations as how to how we perceive the world and how we work tends to be based on a, you know, in our, 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 the, the times we go up and down in our emotions, these are very short cycles, you know, you can, you know, the, the, the amount of uh, ego, ego kind of maniacalness that I need to, to be able to write a song can only last a short while before I'm, I can be down in the dumps, you know, in 30 minutes, you know, um, that is not how like, 
you know, a novelist functions as typically, you know, where they are, they are able to like sustain a vision over 300 pages. And that's many, many days, many years and, and numerous revisions and numerous like, you know, self-flagellations. They have to put up with a much longer gauntlet than, than, than when, you know, than writing a song. And to me, that's like been a really invaluable uh, lesson because I can take that knowledge of like, you know, when I, when I, when I like, when I get out and like I I canoe around a lake for an hour, it's different than like taking Contiki across the ocean, you know, it's like, and like, I know that that's out there. So it gives me respect for what I'm doing as a songwriter, but it, it, it also gives me, humility to realize that there are far more difficult tasks right you know? right and and, it, and they get rewards out of it that are are equal to to mine but like but it's a but it's something that i have such respect for yeah uh, are you able i mean when you are in in novel writing mode does it mm-hmm. almost kind of shut down the songwriter part of you or will you be working on a novel for say several months and and in between there you go oh i got a great idea for a song today and you just switch gears and go write that song definitely yeah and like that's that's like that's something that's that uh you know when getting getting hooked on on output can be uh something that's like necessary sometimes writing a, a novel you got to say like no matter what i'm i'm gonna write some pay a couple pages today because like i don't know what's in there but unless i sit down and do it i'm not going to know what i have and yeah. i won't be moving any closer and like but but that but at the same time and so that does take over certain times when you're like really working your mind is devoted to that and then and and you can't be thinking about songs but then you know the 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 great thing about songs is that like i have much more experience dealing with those you know i know when that when that fish comes to the surface i notice you know and like if i can't write it then i i make a note of it i make sure i don't forget yeah yeah are you someone who writes uh i'm thinking specifically songs do you write in a in a disciplined way where you say I'm going to sit down for X amount of time each day, or do you kind of wait for those moments where you've got that that spark and then you go, okay, I'm either going to stop now or I'm going to look at my calendar and the next opportunity I have, is, it, or or does it kind of work out, you know, as a mix? It it has to work out as a mix for me because you know it's just I have two small kids. I'm like, you know, I'm 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 busy with them at home whenever I'm not you know, we touring when I'm, when I have to be away, I'm away. And then I'm right back. And like, and you know, this is a, a time in, in their lives and in my life when I know, you know, that, that is the first thing. And like, I think that, that initially when I thought about having a family, I, I, I was really worried about it kind of obliterating my artistic life. You know, I didn't yeah. know, I was. I had a lot of fears about it, but what I've realized over time is that that on a very basic level, like you know, all emotions to the side, the the time constraints placed on you, and and the time and the schedules placed on you by the needs of of a family and a kid and small kids is like really good for me. You uh-huh. know, I do not need 
I'm a ruminative person. I don't need more time to think, you know, <laughs> I like, I need that. So, but I, at the same time, those, those, those sorts of needs are very uh, flexible. They need to, they need to happen at weird times. And if, if in the same way as like not, not being, not having to sit down at a desk to write, I don't need to like have scheduled time. I can't give that part of my artistic life that much power. Huh. You know, it's too, cause it's like, cause it's otherwise like I, 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 I otherwise I'm becoming a greenhouse that, or, a, you know, uh, uh, an instrument that needs like, you know, very specific care for very specific needs. And those are, those are not needs that like I can deal with at this point, you know? <laughs> so, right. and so, but, and, and, and so for that reason, like, it's great. You know, like I, when I, when I get up in the morning and the, get the kids off and we're like, we're settling down to do our work, me and Haley. And like, I can turn to what I feel like drawn to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that's really good. You know, it's a real, it's a release for me and I'm just happy to have it. Uh, that's, that's an interesting concept. Uh, I think to me of almost needing other things to focus on. You know, because I feel like mm. I hear a lot of uh, artistic people sort of uh, or creative people like feeling like they need more time. Like I, I need more time mm. to, to work and to focus on my art. Sounds like you're almost like my art is healthier if I'm pulled away from it sometimes. <laughs> it is. It is. And like, you know, like lots of people like, you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely thinking all the time about about songs and all those things. But in in a, in a very different in a way that's not um, always in the front of my mind, you know, yeah. but I, I'm, I, 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 I live my life in art, you know, but I do know that like that there are times when, you know, like where I grew up, the, the, the fields have to lie fallow sometimes. And, you know, well, oftentimes what the, the, the farmers in, in my area do is they plant wheat and the wheat planting goes. And, and it, as that happens, it deprives the soil of nitrogen. So what they've done is is taken lentils and garbanzo beans like chickpeas and and planted them in that soil the next time and those 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 kind of rhizomes like they they give nitrogen back to the soil and it's all it's all it's a nice thing but it, it implies that there has to be a time when you give that part of your brain uh, a rest and yeah. and if it doesn't if it doesn't rest on its own then then some other form of of art is useful and for me that's been prose or for or or painting which really like really shuts everything down yeah and it's and it's, it's good for me you know? yeah um you know given that you've done 11 albums you know um not counting not even counting the live albums but 11 studio albums yeah. you know over these last 20 plus years are you someone who has just like barrels and barrels of, of songs to draw from, or do you kind of like get everything out, you know, for one album and then you're kind of starting from, from an empty, empty space and you're writing the in, entire next album, or are you someone who can kind of go, Hey, I'm doing an album and I've got this song I wrote 14 years ago that I think is a pretty cool song and I'm going to dust that one off. Absolutely. That's like, you know, like I, uh, I, 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 writing for a project is is fun you know it's fun but like but it's not it, i'm not worried about writing for the project and not getting something what i'm what i'm 
what I really am concerned about is like making sure that whatever songs come in through my head uh, uh, are like treated with the, the are, are, are given a place, you yeah. know, and that takes, you know, that takes like, yeah, like you say, years sometimes for like the songs that are accumulating to find the home they need, you know, mm-hmm. but like, but there are times when, you know, like, if if I was to go and say like what songs do I want to record, I would choose from like forty things and like need and I don't want to say goodbye to those other ones because I love them. I wrote them and I felt really inspired at the moment and and so I I, I definitely think about them as having a you know a bucket you know and, and when that bucket comes around and it's that time, then I'm gonna put those songs and I see how they're gonna live together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you mentioned the Sermon on the Rocks uh, album uh, a little while ago, and um, the first single from that record, "Getting Ready to Get Down," is is by far your most streamed song on on Spotify. That's one of those like yeah. you know uh, tracks that has taken off, which is always kind of funny because to my ear, it's a little bit different from your typical. You know, if somebody said, "What's Josh Ritter's yeah. typical music?" I wouldn't go, "Well, that's that's." this song represents the typical sound, but that's the song that, you know, has really, yeah. you know, t- taken off. Mama got a look at you and got a little worried. Papa got a look at you and got a little worried. The pastor got a look and said, y'all are better hurry. Send her off to a little Bible college in Missouri. And now you come back saying you know a little bit about every little thing they ever hoped you'd never figure out. Eve ate the apple because the apple was sweet. Kind of God would ever keep a girl from getting what she needs. And I'm getting ready to get down. Getting ready to get down, getting ready to get down. Now people cross the street when you walk in their direction. Talk between the teeth and throw an epithet. And the doctor thinks the devil must have got you by your senses. But to live the way you please doesn't sound like possession. It's four long years studying the Bible. Infidels, Jezebel, Salomas, and Delilahs. Back off the bus in your own hometown. Say so you didn't like, but then you probably won't like me now. But I, I'm getting ready to get down. I'm getting ready to get down. Talk a little bit about that uh, song and and just the inspiration and and the the writing process for that one. Yeah, like well, like for 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 a, a while before I, I I wrote getting ready to get down, I was right. I was experimenting with songs and listening, like being drawn to songs that dealt with like small town kind of morals and like you know, Harper Valley PTA being the big one that I was like, but like, you know, there's like aspects of that and all kinds of like, you know, in all kinds of Johnny Cash stuff and, and, you know, Bobby Gentry and, and, and there were, you know, all these like songs that I felt personally drawn to because I knew the characters they were talking about, you know, I knew the lady that was like, everybody thought was like messing around or like, you know, the, the 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 preacher that got caught in like adultery was not something that was like a, a concept I had had no experience with. You know, <laughs> there were things like that that were very real. And seeing how a town reacts to that sort of thing is is a beautiful way of looking at, at, at human nature in just most basic ways, like a small community and how does it react to change and surprise and. Um, and so I thought about that, and you know, people like uh, Shirley Jackson and, and her her writing some of the small towns and Stephen King's writing. You know, there were there was so much about it that I thought was coming into it that I was 
fascinated with. But then one day I was sitting on the porch and, and, uh, and that, that very first line came to me, which is mama got to look at you and got a little worried. And like, and, you know, I, I, it was just the, the idea of writing, uh, about a girl and the situation that she has to go through to like, to just be herself, and, you know, to take in the lessons of, 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 of that are taught to us by in our religions, but to know that there is something far more basic and something much larger than those simple social like conventions that we try and uphold mm. so stringently, you know? So I, I thought like, you know, like here's a song that like I would want to pass on to, to, to people who are, you know, being born now, you know, like there's, this is like, like, like there, there are things that, that we can only understand by living. And one of them is to have an open heart and to take care of each other and to appreciate each other's humanity. And, uh, and, and, then the song was just really fun because I got to let go of like, and I got to let loose all these ideas that I've had about, you know, about, uh, uh, um, you know, the, how a town would react and how this girl would react. And it was just really fun. And so uh, it came out being like, uh, it was just a, a lot of joy went into it, you know, yeah. and a lot of what I've been thinking. And it gave me a chance also to feel like, like in a, in a way that could be like played, you know, in all kinds of situations, you know, it's an upbeat song, but I was also like, I was able to like d- feel good about delivering that message, which was very serious in a way that was also like kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorites of your songs uh, is Thunderbolts Goodnight, which is from the 2017 album Gathering. And nice. there's something about that song that just feels very emotional to me. I mean, it, it sort of yeah. bypasses my brain in a way. And, and something about just the melody and the, the presentation of it, it, it just, uh, you know, it, it's one of those songs that I just find kind of inherently moving. Um, Thank you. others that I stayed with their eyes a pile of stone and all my devils that I made deals with so I wouldn't have to sleep alone and all my life before I met you when I was trying hard in love I thought the sun Going down, but the sun was coming down. Um, I guess I, you know, I, I wanted to write a, I wanted to write a love song, you know, but like, you know, so much about about love is so ineffable, you know. So like, I wanted to write about how, and not a not a new love song, not a song about a new relationship, but a song about. Uh, uh, one that is long enough and deep enough that it's like that you can appreciate the movement of time and how things will change and things may get better, things may get harder, but there is a connection between the two of you. And I really wanted to get that down. And the idea that, that like sometimes we, sometimes we see the sun 
the sun going down and, and, and you know, or where we see the sunrise and mistake for a sunset, that there's times when, when, those, when those things can be very hard to see the difference between. The beginning of something or the end of something are often in that same instant. And, uh, and that was like, that was, so, but then at the end, I, I just didn't feel like I could express fully what I wanted to say. And uh, I, I felt like, uh, and the thought came to me that I could just be very honest about it, you know, like in a letter, you could be like, I'm trying to explain this all to you. I wish I could please know that I just love you. And anything that I could say is far deeper than anything that is actually written down here. Huh. And that was, you know, I like that. And I, I like that approach to writing sometimes where, yeah, I think again, going back to famous blue Rainco where, where Leonard Cohen signs it at the end. He says, sincerely L Cohen, you know, like <laughs> yeah. there's like an idea that like these, these ideas transcend just the written page. Yeah. Yeah. The melody. Um, I'm kind of skipping all over and, and, you know, going, yeah. going, going backwards now, um, your, your seventh album in 2013, the beast in its tracks had a song called hopeful, which, uh, has a great drum sound and these cool crunchy guitar Thanks. sounds like a very, a very great, uh, production, uh, style, Thank you. but I, I bring up that song hopeful, uh, for a reason. And, and let me explain, um, We've we've recently launched a new feature on this show where we post about upcoming interviews um, and then our Patreon subscribers can submit uh, questions uh, for our guests and then we'll we'll yeah. choose one. Um, so this next question is actually a, a listener submitted question from our friend Jenny in Nashville, uh, who says, awesome. uh, and I quote, Josh Ritter is one of the greatest songwriters of our generation. So, um, this is, uh, awesome. Thanks, <laughs> this is, uh, Jenny's question. She says, um, I'm not just asking this because you have a song called Hopeful, but because of a thread of hopefulness that I see throughout your music. How would you define hope, and how has your perception of hope changed over the years? Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you, Jenny. Man. Um, well, yeah, you know, I, 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 the, thing, the thing that I believe about the entirety of someone's I, this is how I feel about my my own songs. Is that that somewhere along the line I found a fire, I stuck the flame. I got the I got the flame, and I'm carrying it with me. I need to start a new fire. I'm going to start it. I'm going to get that. I'm going to start a fire from that. I'm going to start, and I'm going to carry this campfire with me, you know, uh, with me. And and each new song, if it doesn't have a, a glow that very specific super personal feeling in my own body that it's that it's it's that i've gotten it like then it's just not a song that i continue with i i wait and, and like and i feel that that is you know the 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 very bottom uh, the very heat of that fire is hopefulness you know it's it's like it's it's you know there is there's so much in the world that is so uh, seemingly hopeless and and there that those 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 things are obvious to all of us around us you know the hopelessness of so many situations you know we're you know it it is overwhelming and I often find that the like. The hard part is finding hope and like sometimes you find the hope in the smallest places but really like 
I, I never have wanted to like write a song about hopelessness. You know, I want to write a song about uh, the potential for, for, for change and the potential for, for all rescue or, or for, for new love. You know, there's so many, I just don't find songs of hopelessness to be useful. Hmm. I don't, I don't think they're like, and I, you know, to, to, that's not what I wish to impart. You know, I do believe that those times exist and they've existed for me. And, you know, when it's, when it's something that I feel like I concisely write about then I, I do, but like, but uh, for me, I feel that my job is to, to maintain um, a sense that, that we can construct our world with hopefulness. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive deep on Spectral Lines, your your most recent sure. album. We we kind of touched on it before. I mentioned, you know, hearing some kind of uh, Beatlesque uh, influences, perhaps, and in for your soul, you know, and you've got songs yeah. like Sawgrass, which is essentially a recitation, which is kind of a, a you know a unique way to to approach a song. Sonically, um, the the record, you know, does sound. Um, different to me your, your your previous record fever breaks was uh, produced by jason isbell and and you know you used his band on that record and that was kind of a, mm-hmm. a sonic shift from your mm-hmm. your previous stuff and then to me spectral lines even though it's kind of a return to form in terms of you know working with your your own band and 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 kind of going back to how you've typically made records it still sounds like a sonic shift to me and i find it interesting that you know, this many years in, you're kind of making some bold uh, sonic moves uh, with with your more recent albums. So talk a bit about Spectral Lines and, and how you approached that set of songs in the studio in terms of what, you know, what we're actually yeah. hearing. Spectral Lines came out of the out of the pandemic in 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 major ways, but also a por- portion of my life when when, uh, you know, my mom died and 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 and. I was confronting those sorts of feelings and, 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 and those experiences with my family and, and, and my own soul. And like, and, you know, when, when I first started, I think, you know, with, with for your soul was one of the early songs that I, I was working on, you know, it was before we, you know, we, we were wiping down groceries, you know, we were like there, I, you know, not only was there, no idea of playing live again for the foreseeable future ever. I mean, or it, it, there was no idea that it could even be in a studio in, in a play. You know, it was early in that time, and so those songs were not songs that were written with any idea that there was going to be a time for those to like find uh, a place. But they were still coming. You know, still songs. And that's what I knew how to do. And so I wrote these songs over a period uh, over a period of time that was maybe a little longer for me uh, than normal, partially because so much of my artistic life went into hibernation, like everybody else's. You know, yeah. when that when that when we were all just sitting around in our apartments and like and and you know there was nothing, there was no reason to perform. You know, there was no there was nothing to do. Um, and so I had these songs and, and as, 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 you know, vaccination started to happen and it seemed like there was light on the horizon, 
like uh, I started talking with Sam Kassir, who I produced the record with, who produced it. Um, and, you know, we started figuring out ways that we could start to record, even though, uh, you know, there was still all kinds of restrictions. And uh, the, the way that we came up with was to say, like, not only are we going to like record, but we're going to use this as a chance to start to work with some new people and, and being in, in situations like where you could take a song and, and send it to a number of people so they can hear it, learn it, come up with some ideas so that when we come and record, you know, or even sometimes record remotely according to like, you know, how we're doing this now, you know, yeah. it was, it was, there was all sorts of ways that we worked around trying to, to not have people, you know, to, 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 to be able to work with not being able to have everybody in the same room. Yeah. And that led to all kinds of stuff, you know, all kinds of new ways of, of, of considering what an album could be. I was also like thinking like, you know, albums are like, the, I, I was pretty, I'm pretty used to the album idea and the album cycle and that sort of thing. And like, and, and the way I would feel, doing it and i wanted to do something different and one of them was just to to take a look at the way the album was going to be structured and say i don't want any i don't want any breaks i want it to be a you know i want some something happening the entire time i want like uh uh you know i it sam knows that like it can't get weird enough for me you know in terms of like production or all that stuff i don't I'm not like tied to doing anything live that I do on a record. Mm. You know, I don't feel the necessity for that. And like, and like, I just wanted the thing to sound as different as I was feeling, you know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I don't, don't need to turn heads. You know, I don't want to, you know, this is a record about, about like seeking connection and dealing with death and thinking about like a lot of things that aren't going to be like, you know, on anybody's like, you know, summer playlist in, in certain situations, but like, these are what I have. And like, you know, in that way, I felt very much like I was going back to the first record, you yeah. know, Interesting. which is like, you're going to put it out and who knows what, you know, who knows what we're going to do with this thing. Yeah. Well, I understand that, that during the pandemic, when, when we were all kind of locked down that you were doing, um, like house concert, you know, basically uh, streaming, you know, performances. Did you use that opportunity to kind of like workshop some of these songs, so to speak, kind of try them out, throw them out there and see how people reacted? Or or did you kind of sit on these songs until it was time to to release them to the album? I think in general, I, 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 you know, I was still kind of working on them. They were a little too new, but I think I probably did do a couple of them. You know, what I really loved for that, the I call them the silo sessions, and they 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 were just, I, I think I started in the first week of lockdown, and they were about, we did about 12 weeks of every every Tuesday or Thursday. And that was like, you know, it was, it was, it was good for me in that I was able to like do something that made me feel like I was contributing something that was, you know, that I was contributing something. It was all I had, yeah. you know, to give. It was like, but like in my own way and in, without a lot of like, it was just, you know, just my computer and a little microphone. It was very bare bones, but it gave our family something to like clean up the house for and get ready for and, and yeah. set our watches by. And so, so really I feel like that was the most important thing for those. Uh, but like, but it gave me also a chance to like play all kinds of covers and all sorts of stuff where 
you know, normally I would like play and then, and then, you know, I would be with the audience. I could kind of get an idea of, of whether that choice had been like a fulfilling one for the audience as what it was for me with this, I had to just rely on my own feelings of like, was this a song I want to play for anybody? And, and that led me to play some stuff that I would never have gotten to play live. Yeah. Yeah you mentioned being comfortable with that kind of album format. And I think people of our generation, like we think about albums, you know, as, as you know, a, a particular statement and maybe other generations think more in terms of playlists or singles or, you know, whatever. Um, and before, you know, several years, a couple years before the pandemic, um, you released miles away, which is one of your most popular songs, but was initially released kind of apart from, from a traditional yeah. album. I came into this world. I was lost, not found. Did not hold me in its arms like it holds me now So I dreamt myself a bird who could cross the waves And I woke up just a man who was miles away Miles away Miles away Miles away Um, talk a bit about that experience of, of why you put out the, the one song and, and how that kind of took off and, and what that experience was like for you of, of just having it live on its own as a single song. Well, I guess the, the, the thing that's, that, that I have that I, I know in my heart is that like, it has nothing to do with albums, you know, nothing, songs, music. That is something that is like an album is is a is a little like cup that we hold water in, you know. But the water is going to be everywhere. It goes through us. It's you know what we drink today is in the you know is 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 far away from us tomorrow, you know. And like the great thing about songs is that they don't need any of that, you know. They just need if if you want to like share them and you're not right there with somebody, then you can record them. And they can live as long in the ether as, as, as we have the ability to receive them. You know, I was thinking like very recently when uh, like Dylan covered a song that I wrote and, and, and it was a song that I wrote like 25 years ago, you know, one of the very first songs I'd ever written really all the way through that I would like, it, I never recorded it, you know? I never recorded it, and like eventually, uh, Bob Weir recorded a version, and and that's probably how Dylan heard it. But the fact is, that music was out there swimming around for that long, and it had nothing to do with the record. Hmm. You know, the true long tail is something that that can't be. You know, it's the the record is just for us. It's us as our artistic selves to put together and formulate an idea of what we're trying to say. But the idea of a record as being something that that somebody takes in rather than the line of a song or a single song or, or one little moment in a show. I think those are the real deal, yeah. you know, and those are the things that we can't possibly understand the ripples of or, or transport in any way that, that we could make money off of. It's just how it fits in with somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah. 
I bet if you could go back in time and tell 1999, uh, 2000 Josh Ritter that Bob Dylan was going to be covering one of your songs uh, down the road, you would be absolutely uh, blown away. <laughs> I don't think I would have. Un- I don't think I could have understood the even the import of that in the person. You know, it's such a like this this far down the lines and that 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 that, that sort of stuff can happen is is like it's amazing to know in, in, in a way that it's very, like, very, very, it's a huge example and a perfect example of that thing, but it happens in, in so many ways that we never got the chance to say, but that's just an example of one that like came through that I, I could see. Yeah. And like, but, but the, but the ways that music and songs play into people's lives is something that's just so, so huge and beautiful and has nothing to do with anything but like that song yeah yeah Yeah. well we want to encourage our listeners to definitely go check out spectral lines it's a really cool and amazingly produced album it's got some some deep stuff on there uh and some just incredible sonics that i think are 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 very interesting so um folks need to check that out if they haven't already and uh josh want to just thank you for spending some time with us today thank you man this is awesome thanks a lot for taking the time no absolutely thank you thank you thanks for listening to make sure you don't miss an episode of songcraft Please take a moment right now to subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can keep up with us on Instagram at Songcraft Conversations or Facebook at Songcraft Show. To join our team and help support our content, become a Songcraft patron at patreon.com. Visit patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can always find us at songcraftshow.com. 